DynastyLeagueFootball.com and the Deal of Family, a podcast. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD. This is a super flex, super show, and here we go with some more questions from you, our super friends, because they have been so damn good, Tommy, that we could not fit them all into one episode. So, so we're just going to keep the party rolling for another week. <laughs> We're kids in a candy store. The questions were great last week. They might be even better for this episode. So I'm really excited to get into it. What do you say, John? Let's do it. So you've got the questions this time. I know one of them came to you in DMs. Uh, two of them came to you in tweets um, or posts. Uh, ats. Yeah, just call them ats, I guess. Like, I, I'm still calling them tweets. So, <laughs> so stupid to make us change that. Like. Anyways, um, so yeah, you've got you've got the rest of our questions, so let's hear them. All right, from Beastly G eighteen at Beastly G eighteen, how do you transition to a QB heavier roster construction when you took a different route in the startup? So very wide receiver heavy um, with some stars like CD Lamb, Jamar Chase, Tank Dell, etc. Um, is it better to trade away your stars? Or do you try to build up through the draft? Um, he's got Levis, Young, and Watson as as the current QBs. What do you think, John? Well, first of all, I think he's probably okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and and a lot of people are gonna uh, gonna you know wrinkle their nose at that. Uh, wait, what is he saying? That's a good quarterback group. That's a good quarterback group. That's a fine quarterback group. Um, there's a lot of job security there. That's the number one thing that we're looking for. And Deshaun Watson's on a guaranteed contract. And then, you know, two rookies drafted highly. Like, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's absolutely no reason to believe that any of these guys um, gets, uh, gets benched or cut anytime soon. So, um, you know, just the fact that these guys are safe, I don't think you have to worry too much about it. And that's a good thing. Uh, like, you know, I, 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 as far as trading stars away for quarterback depth, I'm always down to do it. And I know you are too. Um, you know, like for you, it's not only, it's not just about safety at quarterback, like you'll upgrade from there. Um, so, you know, absolutely no reason not to prioritize the quarterback to to the extreme degree. Uh, and it, so, you know, I would never tell anyone not to. Uh, but in this case, I don't think that you have to. If you're OK with three starting quarterbacks and having some options and having some stability, I think you're just fine where you're at. Uh, what I would say is if you want to add depth, kind of the, the better thing to do would be to look for, um, just a, a little bit more, um, a little bit more scoring, uh, more, uh, a higher scoring floor. Um, so, you know, older guys like Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, those are kind of the guys that I would be looking at. Russell Wilson, honestly, like, even though his time in Denver is likely done, he is most likely going he's he should start somewhere in uh in 2024 and i think that he gives you an opportunity all of those guys give you an matthew stafford aaron Rodgers, those are great ones too 
those are guys who are going to give you in a scoring floor in case the three guys that you have with that upside and with the long-term stability um, aren't performing right away for you. I like that. Um, I too like this QB room. It's it's not how I would build it, but Levis, Young, and Watson, that's not a bad triumvirate. I like your idea of layering in some of the older guys. Um, Kirk Cousins came to mind. Um, Geno Smith, I think, has a little more stability than maybe we give him credit for. Yep. Uh, I would look, if you're going younger, Brock Purdy or Jordan Love, I feel pretty secure in those two. How do you feel about those two quarterbacks specifically? Um, about uh, Jordan Love? Yeah, Jordan Love and then Brock Purdy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with Brock Purdy just because of the draft capital uh, and because of, you know, general public scrutiny. Um, and not only that, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has just not shown a whole lot of loyalty to any quarterback over the years. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there's a little bit of a cloud following Brock Purdy around for those reasons. Um, so we probably do have to see how does this, this postseason play out for him. Uh, but assuming that they're able to make another deep run, maybe they even take another step and at least get to the Super Bowl, if not win it, which I think is well within reach. Um, if that happens, then I think they're pretty committed to Brock Purdy. I don't see anything wrong with the way Brock Purdy plays. People love to trash him, but the the, the like the arm strength is the only thing that you could really knock at all. And this offense is not built for taking shots deep down the field. The, this offense is built to keep it close to the line of scrimmage, get the ball quickly into the hands of the guys who can advance the ball down the field using their legs rather than, you know, trying to rely on Brock Purdy's arm. Like, so that, like, it, it's, it's the perfect situation for him. He's deadly accurate in those short and mid range uh, throws. There's just enough mobility there to get him out of trouble and extend plays and occasionally pick up some tough yards. Um, yeah, uh, there's there's not a whole lot not to like. It's just the fact that, you know, between the draft capital and just kind of the overall approach of Kyle Shanahan, um, you know, there's there's just kind of that question mark that we have to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, if they moved on from him, I think he starts somewhere else too. So yeah, yeah, he, I think he's a great long-term one gives you plenty of floor. Um, Jordan love actually kind of looks like, like he's on the same trajectory as any other first year starter started off kind of slow, looked a little bit lost at times by halfway through the season though, he was off and running and like this is he's kind of on a borderline elite track at this point um and that's with a like it's it's an interesting group of weapons it i wouldn't put it up against any other uh elite offense and say oh yeah their weapons are just as good their weapons are fine uh but they're not it's 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 not like they're uh they're carrying jordan love um, with their playmaking abilities, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. So, um, 
Jordan Love, I, I think, is pretty safe long term. I think they probably give him a long term contract this offseason. And I think uh, uh, for dynasty purposes, I think that he gives you a lot of long term stability as well. So, yeah, I think those are great ones. Um, great ones as well. I'm not going to be moving CeeDee Lamb or Jamar Chase if I don't have to, though. I, I would move either for a Justin Herbert type. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think those are necessarily the moves that, that Beastly needs to make. I, I think that, yeah, trying to get some of the guys you talked about um, or perhaps tearing up just slightly more to the guys that I was referencing are probably the right moves. Um, I, I made a trade, John, just a couple of days ago. Um, I bought a quarterback. I bought Russ Wilson for Najee Harris. Would you be recommending to Beastly to maybe make a similar type move, trading a lower end starting running back for a Russ Wilson? Um, yeah, uh, well, yeah, I think so. Um, especially somebody who like there's there's there are kind of a lot of uh, of potholes on the road for Najee Harris. Um, mm-hmm. the big the biggest one being Jalen Warren. Uh, but it, it, like, it, I mean, he's, he's pretty obviously pretty objectively the better player. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it kind of depends on who it is. Um, I wouldn't say that Russ is safe enough to make a heavy investment, but I think that that's a reasonable enough investment. I, you know, I think that you both take on pretty equal risk in that deal. Yeah. Um, with pretty similar upside. I think I agree. I, I'm just looking at the Tank Dell, et cetera, et cetera, in this question. And I think if we are to compress the roster anywhere, that's that's the delineation right there. Let's see what we can sell from the wide receiver depth beyond CeeDee Lamb and Jamar Chase. And let's, let's go fishing. Let's see what we can find at the quarterback position. If you do want to expand, I I would personally, if I had this roster of, of Levis, Young and Watson, I would probably add a fourth quarterback and maybe even a fifth into the season. If somebody gets injured though. Yeah. You know what? I would trade CD lamb. Um, like we're like, we're, it's like borderline must trade. (laughs) Like, uh, and, and this is the analysis that drives Peter Howard nuts, drives the, the numbers butts crazy. Um, it's just, I mean, like, the, because they're going to say, like, there's there's no fact, like, there's no statistical basis for this. There's no reason for CD Lamb to not continue what he's been doing. Um, it, you know, but the, but what we do know is historically they have that type of season or that type of end of the season, even they don't repeat it. And, People are going to buy him as if he's just going to continue scoring two touchdowns on 140 yards every game from now until the end of time. They did it with Justin Jefferson. They did it with, uh, you know, before that it was Devontae Adams. Before that it was, uh, I mean, Antonio Brown kind of did repeat it a few times. But, like, <laughs> the, like, but generally speaking, whoever has that season, that crazy season, they don't do it again. Certainly not right away, uh, if at all. So, yeah, to me, C.D. Lamb is enough of a sell. Um, and I think that you probably get enough trade power out of him 
that you probably could just get a, a fourth quarterback straight up. Um, and but you know, kind of to your point, I don't know that you want to do it for like a Jordan Love. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that feels a little light, even though the like I think the value is correct. It just it just feels like it's one of those things where you put up a trade poll on Twitter and and just get absolutely demolished, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's almost like yeah, pack package CD Lamb with one of those other quarterbacks. Um, and got to go higher at quarterback. Yeah, I've got the trade finder pulled up because I was curious when when you said CD Lamb was a sell, my my eyes got pretty wide and I had to look it up. All right, are you ready to play a game, John? Sure. CD Lamb or CJ Stroud? Oh, CJ Stroud by miles. How about Anthony Richardson or CD Lamb? Uh, slight edge to Anthony Richardson. How about Lamar Jackson, your favorite quarterback? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, don't make me do it. Um, yeah, Lamar. How about Bryce Young and CeeDee Lamb or Joe Burrow with a wide receiver adder? Yeah, Burrow. And I don't even need the the sweetener necessarily, but I'll take it. These are all real trades that have happened. Um, there were actually pieces added on top to the quarterbacks um, that you were getting. So wow. CD Lamb, big sell, turns out. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> what, that's what I mean. They're valuing him for 2024 and beyond off of what he did in 2023. Yep. Like that's the ultimate irrationality. <laughs> so like that's that's where you said like you can you can argue with me all you want, Peter, on whether or not CD Lamb can repeat what he just did. That's fine, but what you can't argue is that his value should not stay where it's currently at. Here's the sticking point for me. I've got two quarterbacks in mind that I would really have to look at the trade for a while and think about this. Would you trade CeeDee Lamb straight up for either Kyler Murray or Trevor Lawrence? Um, I mean, so I guess like if somebody asked me that in DMs, my response would be um, I would if I had to, but I don't think that you have to. Mm-hmm. I think that the market value dictates that you get an additive on top of that quarterback. Now, if you're dealing with somebody like me, I'm willing to give you, uh, you know, and I'm willing to give you uh, this quarterback for CD lamb, but I'm not going to add anything on top because I think that the value is awfully, awfully close. And so I dig in my heels and say, that's my best offer. That's all I'm going to do. Then I think you do it. I think you still take the quarterback. It's a, it's just too important at that position. What I would try to hunt out is a Mike Evans or DeAndre Hopkins adder. If I'm going to move away a CeeDee Lamb or a Jamar Chase in this roster build, I want to try to match as close as I can to those points that I would be scoring at that wide receiver two position, because that's a real strength on this roster And I want to minimize the hit to that position if I can, just for a year or two. Buy me some time to figure out what I'm going to do next at the position. Yeah, absolutely, man. And there there are kind of a lot of ways to at least take a shot at that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it kind of from there, it kind of becomes what's your risk tolerance? Because 
Um, you know, like, do you have to replace the scoring or do you have to just replace the, the upside? Um, because I think there are a lot of ways to, to get that upside back. Um, yeah. you know, it like, for like, I think that, uh, um, you know, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle are both guys, particularly Jalen Waddle, I think are guys who are probably attainable, who have all the upside that CD lamb has. Mm-hmm. You could probably get both for CD Lamb right now. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know that I would do that because I like to consolidate the wide receivers. I would way rather add another player to another, like get one of those two and then get another player to at a different position of need. But yeah, yeah like, as well. Yeah, but Tank yeah. Dell. I mean, he's he's injured right now, and we talked about this on the last episode at running back sort of hedging against the early season pup or injury risk, a hamstring pull, whatever. Tank Dell got injured pretty late in the season. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to be available week one. Yeah, it was a broken bone though, right? Which, um, so that, that kind of changes things too. Like that heals completely improperly and, you know, you aren't worried about a soft spot in your body anymore. Like you're just kind of, fully back to normal. So, so I, yeah, like of, of all of the injuries, tank Dells is probably the one that concerns me the, the least like by, by kind of a lot. That's fair. So, all right. Hope that helped you out beastly. Uh, let's move on to Joseph Fry though, at J Fry 80. Uh, when do you call it quits on a season because of injuries? Uh, Joseph had one team that lost the top three quarterbacks by week 10 in a juice QB scoring format where low-end quarterbacks score 30 points, so really juiced. Um, Joseph couldn't find a trade, so they just streamed quarterbacks all the way to a title. So, John, when are you calling it quits because of injuries? Is there a a threshold for you? Like, talk me through this. Um, I think that uh, it's less about injuries because like you said, so it, because he went on to win the championship, probably with guys like Jake Browning and Joe Flacco, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Um, don't know the exact names, but, you know, st- stuff like that can still happen. Uh, you know, what I like about QBX is that it keeps you in a position where um, you don't have to chase those guys on, on the waivers necessarily, um, save your fab for the other positions, but uh, you know, worst comes to worst, you can still find quarterback scoring. And this is why to me, um, we're, we're really just looking for starters. It doesn't need to be to me. I, you know, this is why I don't need the top end starters. I just need starters, uh, because they all score pretty similarly once they're in that position. So, um, at least they have the same, uh, you know, close to the same floor on a weekly basis and very similar upside, um, typically. So, you know, uh, so yeah, like injuries, at quarterback doesn't, that doesn't really derail it for me. It's more about like how, how tight is the lineup? Like how many injuries uh, just kind of across your lineup can you sustain? Um, because for a lot of people, it's going to be pretty top heavy. And once you, once you start taking rubber stamp starters out of the lineup, then, you know, the scoring floor drops pretty precipitously. 
when you're in a situation like that, I mean, you know, basically as soon as we, as soon as that lineup gets crippled and you don't have a way to, uh, to regenerate it, I, you know, I, that's where you call it quits. Um, you know, if you're, if, 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 if you're on pretty shaky ground either way, like regardless of, you know, depth versus no depth, if it's, you know, kind of older guys who are overperforming right now and you're like, like, I just need him to keep doing this, which is unlikely, you know, um, then a lot of times it's easier to, it's better to just be realistic and say, all right, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting by right now, but this is not sustainable. Let's, let's rebuild this thing. Um, let's, let's wave the white flag and let's start on the rebuild. I like that. Um, I'm a little different than you. Obviously we build our QB rooms a little differently. I try to have the very elite quarterbacks for this specific reason. Um, in part when I have the QB one, I can expect, you know, in a pretty standard format around 24 to 25 points per game. If I lose my QB two, um, I'm not hurt as bad. Um, if I, if I lose my QB two and I've got the top five, I'm not hurt at all. The difference between the QB one overall and the QB six overall is about four points per game on an average year. The difference between the QB six and the QB 20 is about four points per game. So being at the top really, really does matter to me and how I build my teams. Um, if I'm losing all of the elite quarterbacks, then it becomes a math equation, right? So every single win, um, you need to have about 10 points per game over replacement. That's how I calculated in my little spreadsheets. And so when I'm looking at injuries sustained, I try to find ways to insulate or add back those 10 points per game elsewhere on my roster or to replace directly at the QB position. Um, if it's really early in the year, you just make dynasty trades, right? Like you, you keep looking for dynasty moves to bolster your scoring. You dig into your draft capital if you have to. Um, sometimes you trade away the injured guy. Um, and you pick up a Dak Prescott because you think he's going to get on a heater. Um, if, if you're getting hit the way that that you did, Joseph, where you're losing your top three quarterbacks, yeah, then it's about having the resiliency to really push through with the Joe Flacco's, the Jake Browning's. And I will push my roster construction really far towards the quarterback. I'll build out volume because I need to become a really strong streamer my entire strategy will shift. I am now a streaming quarterback guy. Uh, and to do that for me, I've found that I need to have about a third of my roster allocated to the quarterback position. So I'll cut back on running backs. Third stringers are gone. Um, wide receiver 45 and beyond. See you later. Um, as many tight ends as I can cut, I got, they got to go because we have to bolster the position at quarterback. And I applaud you, Joseph, because you did win a championship this way. I would ask you as a follow-up, what does your roster look like now? And, and what are you doing in the offseason, John? If you do lose your top quarterbacks, you build out this quarterback room with really low-end guys, and now you're approaching the non-point scoring season with a bunch of extra quarterbacks that maybe don't have a ton of value. Um. Man, that's a tough one, kind of. Um, and I feel like I'm in that position in a few leagues, and I'm haven't totally decided. I mean, I think that uh, it's probably 
it's pr- it's probably a little too early right now to to make those moves. So we talked about this last week, the mock drafts that we've got running for with uh, Superflex ADP, um, and we're seeing how difficult it is to find, uh, you know, starting NFL quarterbacks. And you know, like you said, we haven't added in rookie picks just yet. We haven't added in those rookies who are going to be like Caleb Williams walks into a starting job. Drake may most likely walks into a starting job. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels very easily could maybe has a bridge. Um, and Michael Penix maybe walks into a starting job. And, you know, so, so there's four more. Now we're up to, I don't know, like 20 of the starting NFL quarterbacks. Um, and it, you know, beyond that, it's really hard to say who are the guys that, you know, the NFL teams that need quarterbacks, who are they going to trust? Like, is Vegas going to be, are they going to feel good about Aiden O'Connell um, for, an, for a year as a starter? Or are they going to, you know, want to trade for a, you know, a Jameis Winston or Gardner Minshew or Josh Dobbs or, you know, maybe they want to spend up and go get Jake Browning because, he said that he's one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the league. And I absolutely agree. Um, I think he should be a starter, but is he going to escape Cincinnati and go start somewhere or not? So like, we've got all of these guys who it's like, they could be starters, you know, it, it, Atlanta made Marcus Mariota a starter for no apparent reason. A couple years ago, it, it could absolutely happen. Um, but you know, at the moment, they really kind of profile as a backup. Uh, they're valued as a backup. Um, so, you know, it, it, long story short, I don't know what I've got right at the moment with those quarterbacks. And so I just think it's the wrong time to to make a move as far as that goes. I kind of like holding extra quarterbacks right now. They do feel a little bit like scratch-off tickets because – we don't know if there's going to be a ACL injury because somebody was playing basketball or, I mean, God knows what'll happen in the off season or training camp or the preseason. We see injuries all the time. Aaron Rodgers lasted what, two snaps or something like that into week one. (laughs) I think it was three, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't mean to laugh at injury, but I'm laughing at the uncertainty or overconfidence in projecting these situations. It's, it's January right now. And for us to feel any confidence of who's going to be starting in week one or week 12 of next year is kind of foolish. And so having extra quarterbacks right now, it's kind of fun, right? Like I I like having Skylar Thompson. I I like having Mike White. I I think that there's an opportunity for these situations to really bear some fruit that we can't anticipate right now. Yeah, absolutely. Man, Mike White kind of feels uh, kind of fills that same description I was talking about. Like that could be someone that they trade for. Um, there's mm-hmm. somebody somebody trades for, you know, because there's a track record there. Not only that, he just learned from from Mike McDaniel. There was some talk about possibly Mike McDaniel getting fired if the Dolphins can't make a, a little bit of a run in the playoffs. That'd be absolutely nuts. But hypothetically, if that happened, wherever he lands, there's a good chance that he brings over Mike White with him. You know, so like, uh, I mean, it, maybe he goes to somewhere where they're already set there, like Carolina. But if like if he went to Atlanta, 
I would not be su- surprised at all if he trades for Mike White. But like mm-hmm. you can tell that same basic story with about 40 guys. And it's like, yeah, right now they do not like they do not look like NFL starters. But every single one of them has a, a similar story where they end up there. Like mm-hmm. in in some parallel universe, they end up as NFL starters if they don't in this in this plane of existence. <laughs> That's how we ended up with Dak Prescott, right? He wasn't supposed to be a starter. The Cowboys were upset when they ended up with Dak Prescott. I don't remember who they wanted some other jabroni. Paxton um, Lynch. I will <laughs> never I will never forget that because like that was just peak John Elway doesn't understand what quarterbacks are actually supposed to be. Uh like that's it was the exact same um the exact same logic, the exact same process that landed Brock Osweiler here in Denver. And then, yeah, and then trade up for Paxton Lynch, trade up for Drew Locke. They're all the same guy. Like, they, they even have just, like, very basic white guy names. They're all, you know, big and stupid. They can throw the ball a mile, but they're morons. And, like, so, yeah, like, I'll never forget Paxton Lynch. Yeah, he looked like a pirate, too, didn't he? Paxton yeah, Lynch. They, yeah, they even called him that. Like, he had the uh, <laughs> uh, Captain Morgan goatee, <laughs> so they called him the pirate. He did oh, a jackass God. dance just like Drew Locke did. Um, yeah, they're just, it's, it, yeah. He was, he was just a freaking cartoon character. He was not an NFL quarterback. And that yeah. I don't know why they thought that that would ever work. <laughs> I mean, but the, the fruit was Dak Prescott, the unexpected starter who took hold of a position and really just never let it go. And he won us fantasy championships last year. Just to circle back, like there's probably a quarterback or two that we're not talking about that nobody's talking about right now that's going to have a meaningful impact over the next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like who who's the who's Sam Howell, you know? Who's uh the I mean Gardner Minshew, like I talked a lot about him in the offseason last year, the non-point scoring season, and then he ends up going to a situation where he's he's the actual backup. Like he I thought that he was going to make a very good starter for somebody. Ends up as a backup and then uh but then like the guy that he's backing up is do you remember scream a pillar from the Simpsons? Just like sexually <laughs> yeah. attracted to fire. Like, <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of Anthony Richardson, just like cannot stop hurting himself. It's just like addicted to getting injured. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like we ended up, we didn't realize it, but we ended up right back in a very good situation with Gardner Minshew. Um, Gino Smith two years ago, you know, like if you had uh if you had Russell Wilson and you had Geno Smith you thought that you were just handcuffing your starter and then it turned out you actually had two starters on roster like that stuff happens all the time mhm yeah i mean i could see Ryan Tannehill being one of those guys Hendon Hooker possibly being one Jake Browning says he's one of the best 32 quarterbacks i don't necessarily agree with that you don't um, I love no great situation. Great pass catchers. They really like pulled 
the passing concepts really close to the line of scrimmage whenever he was struggling. And the playmakers did what they were going to do. Um, I know that sounds a lot like Brock Purdy, but I didn't see the same uh, command of the offense, the same touch, the same ability to drive the ball when necessary. I think it was just like a really good situation gone right. But I mean, I'm ready to be proven wrong. That's the whole point of this conversation is like, even if we think we're wrong, what's the harm in investing in a Jake Browning right now? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are, there are a few of those guys too. Um, We'll have to think of some more examples, but we've got one more question, right? Yeah, we certainly do. Um, And it's a follow-up from a couple episodes ago. Um, I was DMing with someone. We don't um, release the names of folks that we're DMing with. If you want to have your AMA um, handle shouted out, please just like put it in a public space or let us know. um, And then we'll, we'll call you out on the show. Um, But this individual was listening to one of our episodes and really wanted to drill down to the dead zone of the running back position. So we had talked about um, sort of digging in that space and some of the things that we got wrong. We were talking about Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, uh, Sean Tucker and Rashad White specifically, and sort of the similarities and differences between those players. And you and I both kind of came to the conclusion that like, Volume was kind of key in this situation. We don't really care if players are good. Just give them 300 touches and we'll, you know, go about our fantasy season. This individual pushed back a little bit and said that it's probably more advantageous to seek out talent in the dead zone space at the running back position um, and try to sharpshoot a little bit. And so I just wanted to have a conversation about the dead zone running backs and how you're going to approach the position this year in that space, what you're going to be looking for, um, if that's different at all from what you've been looking for in the past, and maybe call out a name or two if we find some uh, some likely candidates for production. Yeah, definitely, we can do that. Um, it is a it, it it is a little bit of a difficult time at running back because it's it's a time of uh, transition at the quarter at the running back position. Um, you know, the, the guys that we typically would have, you know, in the past we've thought of is kind of running back one, or at least running back one upside type of guys. Now they're getting older to a point where, you know, Alvin Kamara and Derek Henry, those guys are going to fall into the red, uh, into the dead zone, you know? So, um, so I think that you have to look for things a little bit differently right at the moment until this uh this entire position is able to kind of refresh um just because you're going to find different names in the dead zone than you typically would but um you know i like i think that the uh, i think do you have an answer to this this is this is all uh stream of consciousness for me so um i need to to think on this for just a second yeah, totally. It's a tough question. And I think it's a great question. Yeah. When I'm when I'm thinking about dead zone running backs um, and, and these ambiguous backfields where we've got potentially a volume guy in front, maybe a more talented backup or two talented folks, and we're not sure how the backfield is going to shake out. I specifically look for uh, round four NFL drafted running backs who haven't hit because mm-hmm. those are the cheapest pieces at the running back position that have the highest likelihood of producing the next year. 
Um, about half of round four running backs, if they're going to hit, they hit in the first year. But almost the entirety of the other half hit in the second year. And so that's really what I'm chasing is running backs that we've become tired of as a dynasty community because we didn't get the apple that was promised. And so looking at round four running backs uh, from the previous draft, there's Zach Charbonnet, right? But just behind him is Tajay Spears and Roshan Johnson. Um, and they were drafted a little bit after round four. But I think the concept holds true. I think those are the three running backs that have the likeliest outcome of really exploding into some sort of meaningful production. I think most folks are into Tajay Spears right now because we've seen enough flashes to be optimistic. However, Charbonnet and Johnson are both players that I'm incredibly intrigued by. And with a weak running back class in 2024, these are two individuals that I'm going to be seeking out specifically. Yeah, those are good ones. Tajay Spears uh, is one that I don't remember if we mentioned him um, a couple weeks ago when we first kind of started talking about this. Um, you know, like I've I've mentioned Zamir White and Isaiah Spiller way too many times um, for being, you know, at least currently like dead zone type running backs. Um, like you'd almost think that I'm calling for them to be, you know, uh, running back ones for dynasty purposes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're headed for that necessarily. I think it's in the range of outcomes, but I think it would be, um, it's kind of a long shot. But Tajay Spears, I think, like that's somebody who, if I haven't mentioned, I meant to, uh, because, and I think that he's got way more upside than those guys. The problem is your window is probably closed now. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not, if it's open a crack, then go for it. Uh, try and get Tajay Spears relatively cheap. But um, we just saw Derrick Henry essentially give his farewell speech to uh, to the Tennessee Titans fans. So um, no idea where he's going to end up. Maybe he retires at, what, 28, 29 years old, something like that. Um, it's there's a he's well beyond the age and usage cliff at this point. So there's a decent chance that Ty J Spears is just kind of alone in that backfield for one thing, even if he's not for whatever reason, you also have a new head coach coming in by the way. So that's not great for Derrick Henry either. Uh, you know, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, there, there are just way too many ways for Ty J Spears to own this backfield. So, um, Let's expand yeah. it out a little bit, though. Let's let's move beyond players who can really pull away um, these muddled backfields, ones where we've got ambiguity really going into week one. We don't know who the starter is or how the distribution is going to be. How are you approaching those backfields coming into 2024? Are you interested in uh, rostering two or three running backs in the same backfield when any, all, or potentially none could be the starter? Um, typically no, I think I, I, I want to just, uh, take a shot with one of them. Um, and, and, you know, you, you still end up getting it right. Even if you don't completely get it right, you know, like, uh, it, it, Seattle's a great example of this. Um, for the most part, Kenneth Walker ended up being the guy, even though, you know, the bet that I would have placed was on Zach Charbonnet and I'll continue to. Um, and at some point, 
like I'm going to get that completely right. But even though I wasn't right about it in 2023, those weeks where Kenneth Walker was out, Zach Charbonnet was very startable, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you know, when, when that does come, or Houston is another example of this um, because there were some very startable weeks from Damian Pierce. There were some very startable weeks from Devin Singletary. Uh, you didn't necessarily need to have uh, the right one. You just had to have the one that at that point in the season when you needed him was the one who was getting the workload. So, you know, the like, so I, yeah, I really kind of think, uh, you know, there's, you, you could take both just with the idea that, uh, it, but I mean, and, and like, that's kind of why people hate to handcuff running backs because it's just like, all right, great. So I'm just going to start Kenneth Walker, um, it was Zach Charbonnet just like sitting on my bench. Cause I can't start them both at the same time. Um, you know, and, and just kind of wait for Kenneth Walker to get hurt. I think that's a viable strategy. Uh, it's not something that I would necessarily try and achieve right now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when you get a little closer to the season, if you don't have the clarity on that backfield that you're invested in, then go ahead and invest all the way, I think. Looking back to last July, I was thinking about the Dolphins' backfield. A-chan, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert um, were all thought of as potential starters in that backfield. It was going to be a split backfield. We weren't sure how it was going to shake out. You're in, I think you said you're in 15 leagues, John. Would you be splitting your roster ship uh, between those three running backs across your leagues, or would you bet on one of them? I'd bet on one of them, um, personally. I mean, again, you know, if 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 we got to July, maybe even uh, probably more like August and September, get through camp, get through preseason, and this hasn't been cleared up, then, yeah, go ahead and invest in, you know, uh, in more of them in the leagues where you've got one of them, um, mm-hmm. add more of them. But yeah, I mean, this is, I think it, like, this is kind of why I don't fully subscribe to it, particularly in the non-point scoring season, just kind of like, um, all right, well, I'll get it wrong in this league, but get it right in this league. Because like I said, I don't think that you get it fully wrong or get it fully right in a situation like that, you yeah. know? So I don't think it's necessarily worth worth worrying about, um, you know, trying to trying to find the quote unquote starter, trying to find the Kenneth Walker in the situation um, when the reality is like at some point Zach Charbonnet is going to be usable for you. Who knows for how long? Who knows to what extent? You know, and and um and then you know you end up with a lot of cases like Miami. That's probably actually the more likely scenario is that you get another Miami situation where they're all startable. Like everyone who's healthy, go ahead and and fire them up because they're going to get a pretty equal workload and it's a high enough functioning offense that you're going to get something out of them every single time. So a little bit different question, but in the same vein, let's say that Christian McCaffrey takes a yacht to the Bermuda Triangle, right, in May, and he is nowhere to be seen for the next 12 months. 
what are you doing if you don't believe in the running backs that are going to be starting? You're not sure who's going to start. So we've got Jordan Mason, Elijah Mitchell, and I don't know, seventh round rookie, let's say. Um, how do you approach that type of a backfield when it's ambiguous? Oh, man. That's a tough one, too. I, I, so, uh, again, stream of consciousness. Um, give me a second to think on this. But also, I have a feeling that you're asking that question because you have a thought. <laughs> no, it's it's the non-point scoring season, man. It's just the time for these these figurative questions. Um, my thought would be I would hope that I would have high rostership of the San Francisco backfield, no matter what, because I believe in the running <laughs> game. And if CMC wants to take a yacht to the Bermuda Triangle, God bless him, because I've probably got more backups than him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's just a, a thought exercise for me because we do have these situations change very quickly. A couple of years ago, Cam Akers tore his Achilles, I think, in training camp. And then we were all scrambling to figure out the L.A. Rams backfield. Um, and so I just I think that that is a inevitability as we move deeper into the non point scoring season. And I'm wondering what I should be doing, John, with some of these backups behind really good. Uh, running game concepts, head coaches who really understand how to build a running offense. Yeah. You know what I'm kind of thinking is in a situation like that, probably the move is to acquire Derrick Henry, mm. you know, um, like if you're, if you're looking at Jordan Mason versus Elijah Mitchell, you know, it, it really kind of starts with, are either of those guys in NFL starter? Um, are they going to be okay with that? Especially if, like, let's assume that that San Francisco goes on to win the Super Bowl. Um, we know how that offense is built. We know how that entire roster is built. We know that they've invested a lot of money in this win win now window. Are they really going to turn it over to one of those guys? Most likely scenario is they're bringing in a veteran somewhere. So, like, I think that that you know, the more of those situations that we have the more we can safely assume that the guys like Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry's going to land somewhere and have a significant role. Tony Pollard is probably going to land somewhere with a, you know, fairly significant role. Um, this is, this is kind of where we, uh, where we came up with Leonard Fournette in our standard operating procedures. And it's, you know, no disrespect to James Cook, but, uh, this offense deserves a you know more of a power runner who you know who who kind of consolidates what James Cook does catching the football out of the backfield with what Latavius Murray does in the power running game like ultimately they're going to be looking to consolidate that like i think that was kind of our process with Leonard Fournette and i think you kind of take that same basic approach and say NFL teams are going to want to just find that one guy that they trust in every facet, you know? Yeah. So when you have a backup elevated um, or several backups elevated because a premier player goes down at the running back position, you're more likely to, to sell the existing shares that you have. Are you going to be starting them? What are you going to do with the shares that you already have? Um, I, yeah, I think you can sell. I don't think you have to, uh, because they're, I mean, there's, again, you know, they're still going to end up with a role at some point. Um, it just might not be week one, but 
most of the world is going to be chasing week one. We kind of we talked a lot about this last week. People are going to fixate quite a bit on a roster that's built for week one. Uh, and, you know, if, if we get some type of signal that one of these backup running backs is going to be elevated, people are going to be all over that. Like there's going to be a value increase. And, you know, and, and it's one that we don't know for sure. Now, uh, you know, like I keep bringing up Zamir White. We've talked about Taji Spears. Those are a little bit different. Those are uh, like the, the way that this works is the Raiders slash Titans feel so good about this young running back behind the starter that they're willing to move off of the starter, you know, as opposed to in the hypothetical situation you're talking about, the 49ers would be thrust into a situation where they lost the one guy that they're comfortable with. And now they're looking at the backups and saying, are any of these guys, guys that I would trust, you know? So like in a situation like that, like if they said, oh yeah, I mean, Elijah Mitchell's our guy. It's like what they're actually saying is Christian McCaffrey was our guy and now he's not available. So the, like Elijah Mitchell is kind of the best that we've got at the moment. That's not the endorsement that we're looking for. We're looking for, yeah, Derrick Henry has been amazing for us for the last several years, but we feel perfectly comfortable letting him walk because we've got a guy that we're excited about, a young, fast pass catcher out of the backfield type of guy uh, that we think makes this offense more dynamic. It's the Raiders saying, we feel so good about Zamir White that we don't feel like we need to keep paying Josh Jacobs the type of money that he's commanding, you know? That's the type of thing that we're really looking for. Um, but if that hypothetical happened and they said, yeah, Elijah Mitchell is kind of the best we've got, people are going to cling to that and they're going to overvalue him based on that. So, yeah, like I think that you that you at least consider selling just because of that. But I, you certainly don't have to because even if Elijah Mitchell doesn't make it to week one as a starter, he's going to have that role at some point in the season. Yeah, totally. I, I think that the ambiguous backfield conversation um, has really been led mostly by JJ Zacharyson, who has done some really interesting studies. And so if you have more questions or thoughts or want to get a little bit more context, um, circle back to some of his episodes around ambiguous backfields, because I've found them fascinating about how he's able to really understand and manipulate that tier of running backs more and more for me. Um, and this is specific to dynasty. I just want bodies. I don't care if they're talented. Um, I, I would love them to be talented. Um, I would, I would love to have them for four years, for five years. But what really resonated with me was the move to aged veteran when you have some ascension in value from an Elijah Mitchell moving into Derrick Henry, they probably have a pretty similar window of production of number of remaining starts left in their career. Um, if that situation were to occur and it's just like, I, I know what Derrick Henry is. He is a 30 year old running back who's gigantic and who can still score 15 touchdowns if given the opportunity. I also feel pretty confident in what Elijah Mitchell is. I don't want to hone in on just these two guys, but I think they both represent essentially the profiles of that tier of running back. Yeah. 
So a couple weeks ago, you know, when we kicked off the non-point scoring season, we were kind of looking back at our processes um, and, you know, trying to figure out like the things that we missed uh, that weren't just kind of, uh, you know, fluke luck type of things. Um, Why did we miss that? You know, and uh, like this kind of makes me wonder if there is something missing, um, at least in my process, because everything I just said about the type of situations that I'm targeting would have precluded me from getting in on Kyron Williams at all. Mm -hmm. And I kind of didn't. I didn't have a lot of Kyron Williams this season. Uh, And so... You know, I, I and and now I to me, Kyron Williams is probably a top five dynasty running back. Um, you know, it's, it's somebody that you should probably be taking in the second round of startups. So, you know, like what what's what's the process there? What's the tweak that we can make to the process so that the next time that one happens, we don't miss? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. This is an outlier situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kyron Williams is not doing what he is supposed to be doing based on his profile. He is wildly outperforming it. And so instead of trying to guess and be right about the next Kyron Williams, what I want to do is just get on the train a little bit earlier when it becomes clear that this is a Kyron Williams situation, that this running back has a lot of production coming their way. We see it every year. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Matt Stafford with Cooper Cup, right? Cooper Cup mm-hmm. was a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. He links up with Matt Stafford and breaks fantasy to the tune of like 450 fantasy points, outscoring literally every other uh, fantasy asset. Kyron Williams did a very similar thing. Like Those are situations that are really difficult to predict. I think if you try to predict them with a level of accuracy that beats the market, you're probably not going to be happy with your results. Um, However, when those situations clarify, it's probably really smart to overpay and get in while the manager who's holding them is looking to cash out. You and I had this conversation about Puka Nakua, um, I think week two, He was one of our ads in week one and week two, I was asking you like, should we cash out? And you recommended that we hold John. And I think it was really great advice because the market fluctuated for the first few weeks with a Puka Nakua and then started to stabilize. And I was really happy in the places where I held because right now I feel confident that I've got a top 12 dynasty wide receiver and I could have cashed out for a second round pick. I could have taken my my winnings and moved on down the line, but I didn't because of you. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I, like I guess there is a certain amount of just um, you know being okay with with uh, getting it wrong on you know like on a Kyron Williams just saying like if this actually happens, I missed it. And that's okay because I'll, you know, I'll have other hits elsewhere. Um, I just, man, I like, I, I hate, like, it feels like a cop out as an analyst. It, mm. it, it just doesn't feel right to say that to people to say, um, 
yeah, like I, I'm, I missed that one and I'm okay with that, you know? Um, so yeah, like you're, yeah, like you're, you're totally right. It was an outlier that like, I don't know how you necessarily could have seen that coming. They kept the, cl- the cards really close to the vest. And in fact, had us pretty convinced that they were completely sold on Cam Akers, who we knew was not a good player before his Achilles injury. <laughs> like, uh, like well, somehow they they had us convinced that they were convinced that he was much better than he actually is. And <laughs> Kyron Williams just kind of wasn't even on our radar as a result. Um and it, but like, and, and so, yeah, like, I don't totally know. I don't totally know what the process is of finding those outliers. I do feel like we somehow need to chase it though. You know, mm-hmm. one thing that I've been thinking a lot about as my portfolio of teams grows is I don't want to have just one share of somebody that to me feels wrong. I want to have a minimum threshold of roster ship. If I've got, let's say, 100 leagues, which I don't, but let's say I did, I would want to have like 15% roster ship of those types of profiles. And I'd rather be really wrong or really right on them. Because people who had Kyron Williams advanced to the championship this year. It was CMC and it was Kyron Williams. Those were the two that really pushed you to a championship run. I would, I would like to think that if I had 15% roster ship of him, I would have the sense to hold on um, to most of it. But being in on just one, that doesn't really give me the level of buy-in that I personally need as a dynasty manager to hold that one share. I don't feel invested in it. I don't feel like he's one of my players. Does that make any sense to you? Is that how you handle some of the bottoms of your rosters? Yeah. Um, Kind of. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it. So it makes sense to me. Um, and, and I, it, like, I fully agree with you. I just, uh, and uh, like, I think that, that I might have a little bit of a hubris, um, in terms of my player analysis and projections, um, to where I say, you know, like if I, if I don't believe this guy, if this isn't one of my guys, then I'm probably not hanging on, even if it's just in one spot, you know? Mm. And so like, it's actually even worse for me because at least you had that one hit, you know, (laughs) where I'm just like, yeah, like I, I would, you know, and it's going to be a lot of, uh, like I said, Ty J Spears, Zamir White, Isaiah Spiller. Like I'm going to go out of my way to get guys like that. And along the way, I'm probably going to drop some guys who actually hit, just so I end up with those guys who I think are going to hit and that I feel pretty strongly are going to hit. Like I'm going to probably miss out on the next Kyron Williams, unless it happens to be one of those three guys. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one because the running back 25 through 85, they look very similar um, on an NFL football field. Right. They, they don't look that different. Right. <laughs> and trying to sharpshoot situation and injury feels so impossible from the chair that I'm sitting in. And I imagine the super friends as well. Like 
trying to figure out who is going to have growing opportunities, who is going to outperform ADP in that giant bucket of players. It's just like, it's kind of a fool's errand. And it's, for me at least, relieving to not think I'm an expert in that that part of the dynasty <laughs> space. Like, I'm not a film guy. And maybe like my ignorance is bliss in this situation because like, I don't, I don't feel capable of finding Kyron Williams. Yeah. But in, and you know what, that like, that's kind of a reminder too, because yeah, like I would even go so far as to say, like, I would ask which running backs do look different, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I kind of think Kyron Williams is one of those guys. Christian McCaffrey obviously looks different. Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, like those guys have, very different talent from the overall running back position, but like that list ends pretty quick. And even guys who performed well, still just, it's not that they're necessarily more talented uh, than anybody else at the, at the same position, you know, it, it really kind of comes down to it's the workload. It's the, the offense that they're in, Um, it's the, you know, the scheme, it's the blocking, it's, uh, you know, it it can, it can be, it can be related to the defense. Um, you know, does it, it's a, it's a really good defense that creates positive game scripts for the running game. And that makes this guy different from, you know, most running backs in the world. And it's like, like none of that has anything to do with the running backs talent because running back talent doesn't really even matter Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily even a thing you know (laughs) like like it's just how many times can you run into a mass of humanity and stand back up afterwards essentially like that's the talent that we're kind of looking for for the most part like there are like i said there are guys who are different but for the most part the running back position is all about durability yep The problem with looking different for me, and maybe I'm not attuned enough to see the difference with Antonio Gibson and Ramondre Stevenson, because those two running backs, they look different to me as well. Um, I see elite athletic traits. I see really soft hands. I see uh, when they're getting a screen and turning up field, the linebackers struggling to contain them. However, neither has really done that much with their opportunities the coaching staff actively seems to dislike antonio gibson and so that's part of it for me is like my eye can't necessarily discern the difference between antonio gibson and some of the running backs that you named that really have performed at a different level well uh, so i think i think that you can um because i think that you're right on those guys uh the thing about it is like you know, Ron Rivera was just absolutely convinced that not only is Antonio Gibson not more talented than Brian Robinson, but that Antonio Gibson just doesn't really do anything for that offense. Like his abilities just don't really translate to anything useful for them. And that's, that's crazy. That's objectively nuts. And that's probably, you know, at least in my mind, that's one of the reasons that he just got fired because that's poor decision-making. 
Um, Bill Belichick does the same thing. He's just been getting away with it for a very long time, but he was still, he was taking Ramondre Stevenson who, um, you know, and, and here's the thing, like the, the talent, the difference in talent between Ramondre Stevenson and any other running back, it's like, uh, like, you know, still pretty negligible, but his talent just kind of is an overall football player, is an overall athlete. Um, that's the part that you're seeing. And Bill Belichick is saying that doesn't matter. Like he, there's, a, there's absolutely no difference in our expected outcome. If it's Ramondre Stevenson or old, slow, plodding Ezekiel Elliott, like, and, and so that's where I come back to the talent shouldn't be what we're looking for. We shouldn't be necessarily chasing who are the better, uh, the better running backs, who are the more talented running backs, who are the who's fast, who's got great balance, who's got great vision. It all comes down to the situation, and I feel like we've known that for a while. Um, and that's kind of the answer on Kyron Williams. Come to think of it, we know that we didn't know that Kyron Williams was going to be the guy, but what we do know is that Sean McVay is among the best offensive minds in the league when it comes to scheming his running backs out into space. And now Mike McDaniel is doing the exact same thing. So in both situations, it's kind of like, man, just get all those the running backs on Sean McVay's roster. All the guys that Sean McVay trusts, all the guys that Mike McDaniel trusts, get those guys. Get at least one of those guys. Because whoever it ends up being is going to be in an incredible situation just because of the coaching and the, the uh, you know, the deployment of those players. Yeah. I think that puts a button on this question, really the, the talent versus opportunity and the ambiguous backfield uh, components of that. Um, so I think we, we nailed that one. Do we have any others, John? I believe that was it, um, man. And I feel like I missed one. I feel like somebody, DM'd me one and I I can't find it. Don't remember what it was. And and I'm gonna feel awful when I uh when we wrap this episode up and I haven't answered that one. Um I just have to answer it uh uh in DMs. Um so yeah, let's uh let's just yeah, let me just live with that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that I'm gonna I'm about to screw this up. Um so let's go ahead and wrap this episode up for the week. Sorry, I thought I found it, but no, that's not it. Um, anyways, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap this episode up for the week. And as we do that, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcast mega feed and get access to all the great podcasts from DLF. And once you subscribe to the super show, if you do us a huge favor, rate and review the, the, the podcast helps us to get out to more people, expand our reach. We can really kind of drill down to the topics that are most useful to you, our super friends, the more people we involve in this conversation. Uh, you can get at us on Twitter X at, uh, I'm at Superflex dude. He's at FF Tommy B. Um, always happy to uh, talk in DMs, talk in public, talk in private, whichever. 
uh, send us those trade polls. We're always happy to retweet them and share them, um, help you get more votes. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James the Brain Catullus. Thank you to DynastyLeagueFootball.com for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. Thank all of you who sent questions uh, for these two AMA episodes. Man, those were good questions. And uh, it, it led to two like oversized episodes for us. So uh, it took a lot of discussion and man, we appreciate it. Um, and above all else, though, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. <laughs>